Hello? Does this thing work? This is the Peak Boredom Podcast. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Peak Boredom Podcast. Yes, that's the name. Yes, we've reached that point yet again. Today we have here with us our good friend Lauren. Yes, our first guest. Thanks for coming. Ashley, she actually works with us too. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah she's the design. one. Yeah, she's gonna be the one designing our jingle as well as like some of the background music that you're gonna hear. Yes, so if you like the jingle, please hire Lauren. dollars oh, per hour. <laughs> Uh, hi guys, I'm Lauren and I study music in Hong Kong and here's proof of my existence. I'm currently in... <laughs> I think when you guys watch this this podcast, I'm like out, I'm out of quarantine already. So I'm in daytime quarantine without sunlight, without human contact and I'm still sane! Are we not humans? Well, I'm an alien. Yeah, without direction. <laughs> Disclaimer, um, Lauren recently went back to Hong Kong from Jakarta and so she had to be quarantined in the government facility. Mm, yeah. Oh, in my apartment. Oh, your apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm quarantined in the government facility, that means I have coronavirus. <laughs> Good correction, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I guess the first and most important question, were you always interested in music? Do you want to know from the beginning of time? Or from yeah, you know yeah, what? Sure. Okay, sure. <laughs> what sparked your interest to music? Because I know music is like such a, oh, do it. But then, and the Asian culture is like, why are you doing it after like, you know, a few years? I started learning the piano when I was since I was like five years old. So how 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 many years is that already? I'm like twenty now, so fifteen, fifteen years. Um, but I started become becoming like really interested in music like actually wanting to be a perform performing pianist like mm-hmm. a professional solo pianist when I was in the fourth grade it's because I changed teachers I changed teachers to she's actually my aunt but she like she's like this really good piano teacher and she changed my view for music and everything so like I really became interested in music since the fourth grade and then um, my parents luckily they're not the stereotypical agents <laughs> who are like you have to be a lawyer no 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 they're they're very supportive with music and my mom she's she's like one my number one supporter and I love her so much so mom when you're watching this I just want to <laughs> say I love you thank you for supporting no, cry. okay we're and, not that famous <laughs> so all my mom said when I said and I told her, Mom, I want to be a pianist uh, when I was in fourth grade. Yeah, I told her that. And all she said is, do it. And if you want something, do it with your whole heart. So a lot of people say, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I say, I want to be a classical pianist. I want to be a performer like Lang Lang, uh, who's a very popular pianist. Very accomplished, yeah. Um, then they would just say, oh my gosh, that's like so boring. What are you doing with your life? You're not gonna make any money. You're 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 just gonna be a teacher. You're gonna end up hopeless. Yeah. Well, they didn't say that. You get the point. You're gonna fail, basically. Um, do, people's, so, do people's perception of you then change because they hear that you're a music student? Yes. I mean, when they they adopted, <laughs> so their perception. <laughs> they adopted. They adopted. Are you sure <laughs> they're adults? But, but okay. Yeah. I I well. I don't know, but um, yeah, so back then, I had a lot of stuff that, I mean, you, you tell that to a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, you're gonna fail as a musician, of course, like, I feel really insecure, and so I, I'm like, I'm gonna be a pharmaceutical engineer, I'm gonna work in Kalbe, <laughs> and then like, because I like, I like chemistry, back then. I like chemistry back then, and so, um, I thought I, I'll give it a shot, but I still pursue music. Like I still play it like competitively. I go to competitions. Oh. And oh. yeah, I still like do do all those crazy stuff and practice like nonstop. And then um, when I went to Espeha for high school, I took chemistry. Like great 
like grade 10, I mean, you have to take science. Then grade 11, I took chemistry, right? Actually, starting from grade 10, when I took science, that's already a clear sign to me. No, you're like, it's like God telling me, <laughs> no, you're not supposed to be a scientist. You suck. Stop. <laughs> stop what you're doing. <laughs> and like, I suck at science. I think I only got a five or four even out of seven. I'm just bad at science. I'm horrible at science. So like, um, yeah, I stopped pursuing that. I And I just like, I, I can't pursue that. I feel like music is the way to go. And like, other than music, actually, uh, my side, not my side interest, my passion too is film. So, uh, so like, actually, when I was dreaming to be a classical performer, I wanted to be a classical performer in Hollywood. Like, I mean, like, for performing for you know Hollywood movies they, they have like they, they hire professional musicians to perform for their scores so yeah that, that's like a childhood dream to go to Hollywood and to do not, not just Hollywood like the film industry in general because I, I really love movies like I love Disney in particular I memorized every single Disney song <laughs> every single Disney princess I love them I've been watching Disney since I still remember. I my first movie ever is Finding Nemo. Yeah, Disney Pixar. So I love Disney and Finding Nemo because they have sharks. Okay. I am what? scared of sharks until today. I'm scared of sharks. Like the sharks are scary. And then after finding because after Finding Nemo too, I I watched Jaws. Can you imagine? <laughs> Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so until today, I'm still scared of ocean. Alright. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to go to the ocean, so I'm scared of the ocean. Oh, good thing is you don't have to. <laughs> Great. Okay. So, what exactly can you tell us what music school is like? Like, what are your, what is the structure of like a music course exactly? Like, contact hours, private teaching. So I think nobody really knows how music will work. They just see it like in the movies, you know the the yeah. <laughs> oh, whiplash! Yo, did you see whiplash? And like, <laughs> oh, okay, that's music school. But like, what is it really like? Uh, first day, I want to say I think a lot of people uh, has a lot of misconception about music school. Mm. Um, whiplash is actually that's the extreme. Yeah, yeah. Like very extreme. That's like the, the high end. I I would say high end conservators who focuses on performance mm. and who have killer teachers who will like just, just beat you up if you don't practice beat you up if you don't get the notes right or <laughs> you don't get the expression right and yeah yeah but other than that music school in general it, you have theory and you have practical and for some universities uh, you have the common core so like you learn about philosophy or anything like i had to learn i had to learn philosophy and the values and meaning of life for one semester and it's you must have an existential crisis you know it's weird they call it the value and meaning of life but we talked about like globalization economical globalization but then the, the title is value and meaning of <laughs> call it capitalism <laughs> yeah. like, anyway and yeah, so um, for me, because I take composition, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. composition concentration. Um, let's see, my week usually is filled with me creating music all the freaking time. Uh, I'm a nerd. Like every composer is considered to be a nerd because all you do is sit in front of a computer, <laughs> figuring out notes, figuring out. Uh, for example, if you're recording something and then especially if if god forbid the technical thing doesn't work and you have to sit there for hours figuring out why is there no sound coming to the computer or why is no sound generating out of the computer so like yeah we i do those technical stuff i do a lot of sound recording and then i take film as my my minor right so i work with animator animators like student animator and um, like take sound design classes make poly so for me the practical stuff is that it's not exactly practicing actually I don't really <laughs> uh. 
Yeah, because I mean, uh, back then when I was pursuing a career in piano performance, actually that that too I'm not practicing. I practice my I practice my ass off, but like I don't practice like, three hours straight. It's like mm-hmm. one hour, okay. then like two hour break, then one hour, <laughs> then another hour of practice. But it's a lot. So I, but I'm the type of person I can't sit still in whatever situation. So um, if you see me in the practice room, maybe if I say, "Oh, I'm in the practice room for five hours," that means I'm probably actually touching the piano to practice for two hours, and the other three hours I'm either uh, messing with the strings, <laughs> like because you can play the piano strings, I'm either messing with the strings, messing with the with the. I don't know, like you can use the piano as a per- percussion, you know, you can hit it and you use it as a percussion, percuss, percussion instrument. And, or, or if my friend comes and uh, he or she just decides to chat with me <laughs> in the practice room. Yeah, that's probably the other hour. So two hours practice, two hours of kind of practice because I still put like 15 minutes and all two hours of messing with the piano and destroying it and maybe another hour uh, chatting with my friend and doing nothing and then the contact hours theory like composition you you do learn a lot of theory and i think a lot of people misconcept like misunderstand this because even musicians too uh they tend to say Oh, why are you learning theory? Like, aren't you supposed to create what you want? Why do you have to learn music theory? And for me, it's just like, uh, music theory for me, it's you learn something, but that doesn't mean that's the rule. You have to follow everything. And when I make music... Is it it more like the case of um, in order to be free within the boundaries, you have to know what the boundaries are? And like once you know those boundaries, and that boundary being like music theory, then you can just freely express whatever. Yep, oh, yep you're right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That makes sense. No? Yeah, like actually, that's true. So like by learning music theory, like mm. you know what the geniuses back then did, and then you can break the rule. Like for example, Mozart like tonal harmony, like the rules of chords and everything in Mozart's time. At that time, they didn't have that rule. But because theorists analyze those things, so they know that those rules actually exist um, unconsciously, but Mozart didn't know that, right? And then the people in the Romantic era, like Tchaikovsky, Chopin, like that, they know that those rules, they learn it, like Beethoven. That's why Beethoven actually innovated and moved the music history. Because he knows those, he knew those rules, and then he he decides to break them. He decides to like, screw this. I'm gonna make my own thing. I'm going to destroy the rules, and it sounded amazing. So yeah, by learning music theory, it's not you don't look at it as these are rules I have to follow. But you look at the you look at it as like Hans Zimmer would say, if you see a rule, if you know a rule, then break it. That's the only way you can forward. And I I hold that quote. <laughs> Very tightly. Yeah. Great. That's so like speaking of speaking of um, really big composers, have you ever been to a master class? I have been to a master class. I actually have been to a piano festival. Like Wait, once. Like explain what a master class is though, for people who know, oh, okay. know music. Well I do know, okay, but like okay. as Small uh, as master class is basically it's like a one to one with a great master. Ah, uh, like literally master of the art. Yeah. So if you're a pianist, you're with the one of the masters of piano, and you just you just learn one on one, heart to heart. I don't know with that master. Yeah, that's a master class. I've never been invited to a master class. <laughs> Oh, do you have okay, to? No, I have been. You have been. You have uh, to be invited to one. In my school, yes. It's usually for performing students or students who who accept who perform exceptionally well because the quota is limited. Like, there's five hundred, more than five hundred pianists in my school. Like, 
So like, <laughs> if there's one master class prepared, they, they can't teach everyone. And like some of them might not even be interested. Like me, I'm just interested to watch sometimes. I, I don't really want to be criticized. Have hands on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's not about the criticism. It's more like, I'm just lazy. <laughs> but I do, I'm, yeah, I, I cannot, I am a bit ashamed to say this, but I am quite a lazy, I am quite lazy in my piano practice since I went to composition major. Like, I love the piano, just mm. not in the practice way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah feel yeah, way. <laughs> yeah, master classes, I watch them a lot. I have been to actually I've been to one. If you want to be in a master class, either you pay <laughs> to a wow. piano festival. So yeah, I, I registered for a piano festival in Singapore last year. Mm-hmm. So I went there. Uh, it was kind of effect kind of effective, kind of not. I mean it did improve my uh, my repertoire. But yeah. Uh, in a master class, um, yeah, they just teach you. They teach you how to play it better. They teach you your interpretation. Like, you don't have to follow it, but it it gives more opinions. Like, just asking for a more professional opinion. But I usually just watch master classes more. I think they're more fun to, to learn how other people interpret a certain piece and how other people execute it. Yeah, I understand that. I remember watching a video. It was a two-set violin video where they talked for like... <laughs> What was it? One or two hours with Hilary Hahn, wow. and the way she explained mm. how to properly practice and how to gain your version of interpretation—that's so interesting, and that's through experience and stuff that she learned from other people as well. So, like, I understand listening more so than being in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I think two sad violin they give. They're, they're really hilarious, by the way. Guys, if you don't know Two Set Violin, check them out. They're so cool. They are. Seriously. They're pretty cool, yeah. Two Set Promo. Oh my god. They're pretty cool, though, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're really innovative in their way how... Because, yeah, people tend to tend to think that classical music is boring, but Two Set Violin just like, no, it's not. And they change it in a way where it's interesting to even non-musical people yeah two sets two sets stop it's not <laughs> they're, two they're, set club. they're already famous we need the attraction <laughs> great so this is another important topic i guess like back when you you told us that you moved from basically the performing um direction into the composing direction Back when you were in the performing direction, however, like the performing stream, do you have any instances where you've like overworked yourself, you know? Oh, yeah. Like with a lot. With class style. Because I get tired. I know I get tired during practices and I'm not even a professional. Just maybe two hours of practice and like your joints feel the pain at all times. Yeah, Yeah, the two years I did piano (laughs) because I'm Asian. (laughs) It is quite tiring to like keep doing it. It is, it is very tiring. If you check out a lot of professional, you can see like, okay, maybe we're not as toned up or as bulk as weightlifters, but we are, we are kind of, yeah, we are yeah. kind of bulky here and here. Uh, over-practicing can hurt you if you don't know, but it will only hurt you if you don't know the proper technique. Case me. Um, yeah. Uh, I challenged myself too much. I overestimated myself. There is such thing as overestimating yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. I overestimated. <laughs> I overestimated myself last year when I was in year one. I thought, oh my god, I'm in university. I should be playing real pieces, man. Hardcore pieces that kills me. And I decided to pick, if you're a musician, you know who this crazy composer is. I decided to pick Franz Liszt. Um, transcendental attitudes, um, the wild jag. Okay, that's like okay. I have never played this my whole life, and then this one time, my crazy mind decided to. I'm gonna play this for my examination. I wanna know. I wanna show up to people like how cool I am, which I completely failed. Um, 
I mean, I didn't fail the test, but I didn't get good either. Uh, so like, I overworked myself. I overestimated my technique crazy because because listen basically yeah list basically makes listen. you do gymnastics with your fingers list, yeah exactly so it's painful. like your finger can your hand can fit eight octaves and say like, no i want you to reach 13 notes and i don't care you have how small hands like i have i have small hands i think we have like, like similar yeah and you have people like well and you know i feel you know i wish Yanis have I wish for pianists, we can train our eyes to like look like, like the opposite direction. <laughs> it has to be a horse. You can, can see like the keys because okay, especially if you're playing like Rachmaninoff. I've never played Rachmaninoff, but if you play stuff with octaves and or like stuff where your right hand is like far end at the at, at the very top, and then like your left hand is far and below. I mean. In a, in a yeah, so so I remember <laughs> back in grade 10, grade 9 and 10, um, I was put in a, basically, you you need to kind of audition to get into piano for some reason in our school. And when I played for one of the teachers, he said, oh no, you're too advanced, we're putting you in the advanced piano class. And there was only one other person in that advanced piano class. And after listening to us, um, our teacher basically trained us in classical pieces. I was trained in Chopin because apparently I'm very good with my chords and stuff. Um, but my piano duet partner at the time and also classmate, he was he, he was a violinist originally. Oh. So he's got I guess lengthier fingers, right? Yeah. And yeah. so he was always placed with Rachmaninoff, like the really powerful Russian stuff. <laughs> at the end of the day, like we can't swap because they're very different styles. We tried. It did not work out so well. But yeah, it definitely hurts your hands. Like, you might not think it's hard stretching one octave and playing it again and again and again, but it really hurts. Yeah, yeah. people think that this movement does not hurt. You no. try doing that for a long time. This it part hurts. Your whole. Yeah. Here. Because people think There's like, oh, piano. <laughs> yeah, they say like, oh, piano. It's just in the fingers. No, it hurts here. No, it's like a physician that uh, visited my university that time, and I decided to go there because I I tend to injure myself a lot. All right, uh, <laughs> this is. I joined his seminar because of the list incident. All right, so. Basically, in the list incident, I over-practiced and I forced, I was supposed to, I think it was a chord with four notes, but I was supposed to spread my hand in such a way. And then, oh yeah, by the way, guys, if you look from the side, my pinky can't straighten. Yikes. I can't straighten my pinky. So, like, that's another problem. And, like, it's just so difficult for me. And I have relatively tiny hands, like an octave. It's like, <laughs> You're stretching? You're still stretching? Yes, it's quite hard for me, like, it's difficult. So, like, you imagine this tiny hand playing a four-note chord that has to stretch like crazy the whole time. I ended up with tendonitis in my... I forgot which finger, I think it's this one. And then I had to go acupuncture. Yeah, I remember that summer. I think you came back that summer and you said, like, yeah, I practiced so hard that I required acupuncture every week. That's yeah, crazy. it was really, and I can't play the piano, and like over practicing cost me practice time. Mm, yeah, like I can't play the piano for I think a week because I hurt my uh, finger really badly, and even after a week, I had to tone down. So I didn't play my list at all for for a month. So you can imagine how much I screwed my exam. <laughs> then I decided to go to the physician seminar thing. Right then he was like, he was explaining how important posture is for pianists so that's why i started working out like since quarantine it's not because i want to change my body in a certain way but i just want to get stronger because actually yeah. exercise is really important for musicians whether it's cardio or stretching i don't know anything anything like pilates it's important for you to have your stamina because um especially if you're a performer you're going to perform 
for like two hours. You require strength, man. Like you need that stamina. The the that's why sometimes if you go to concerts, appreciate the performer. Like sometimes they sweat. They sweat. (laughs) I've seen performers with with sweat dripping. So sometimes that's why they have this napkin like themselves, like and everything. It's because of the sweat dripping, yeah. So like the physician's guy, he was saying like you need to watch your spine, you need to stretch a lot, and then you need oh, to... Oh yeah, I get that. Uh, yeah, then you, you need to know that your power doesn't doesn't come from here, it comes from your back here, oh, and, which transfers <laughs> up, and then goes here, and goes oh, here, whoop. like that. So you need to generate power from the back. That's why sometimes you can see pianists jumping like that, right? It's because they're generating power from here. Oh, from, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes I remember, sense. Um, like that. It's I don't not, know if they not... had posture problems, yeah. I, at one point, because of the way I play piano, I guess I don't have much strength in my fingers. And my teacher told me, oh, it's because you're sitting wrongly. It's because, I guess, like, when you play piano, you just sit wherever the stool is. But you don't realize, like, as a pianist, you have to adjust the stool to, yeah. I guess, your height. Because I'm quite tall, right? So I have to sit further away from the actual <laughs> piano. You're super tall. Um, yeah, so my teacher is like, no, you're you're too close to the piano and starts shoving the stool like further away and I'm like, oh my god, stretching further away from the piano. But then because of that, I guess like my posture changed and the strength changed. But now that you mentioned that it doesn't come from here, oh well, I guess my posture is still bad. Yeah, there's like a certain rule actually, like a rule that helps you. I mean, it differs from body to body, but the general rule is you sit half halfway of the stool, you don't sit like full. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you you need to be able to your arm, your I think your elbow should not go down like from the side. It should not be like yeah like that. It should be uh, perpendicular. <laughs> like that. So there's a rule. And then like because it helps like if you're too close from, from the piano and you're and you look like this, it's not perpendicular, you're gonna hurt yourself. If you're yeah, if you're too far. And if you're too close it looks like this you're also gonna hurt yourself. Like, there's no movement. So you're going to strain. And when you strain here, I'm telling you, it's the worst feeling ever. Like, straining muscles, especially in the forearm. And a lot of pianists, they strain their forearm, so they use a lot of power here, inside of their back. It hurts. So you need to keep practicing your back, actually. Like, how do you generate power from here? And I just knew that from the physician, because I thought, just, I, I know that you can't use this power, like the forearm. I know that you have to move your wrist and everything like that. But I didn't know that you have to generate it from the back. And I didn't know why pianists do this, like a lot. So it's actually the power, not dramatic <laughs> movements. <laughs> I didn't know either. Yeah, there's a lot of performance is more complicated than people think it is. They just think that. Mm. I think most people think, oh, you sit down, you learn a piece, it doesn't matter how good you are, then you just play. It's like, no, it's a bit more complex than that. Yeah, I guess because yeah. like, I have a cousin who actually does music school for a long time, but our family just like, oh, play whatever music. It kind of distorts <laughs> me, but she's like... Oh, my mom definitely does that. Yeah, my right? mom does, <laughs> yeah. Oh, can you play this song? I'm like, no. It feels no, like I they just can't. put you. It's like specific. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like they just put you piano so they can play karaoke song. Oh, that never happened. Really? <laughs> it's just cause like, yeah. Well, yeah. In my case, in my case, it was because growing up, um, I was, I wanted to be a doctor. Stereotypical. Ooh. But like, Ooh. my cousins, my cousins are doctors, right? And they said that um, hand finger coordination is very important. Um, yeah. If you want to be a scientist, the same thing goes as well. Mm-hmm. So they wanted me to learn how to control like the finger-eye coordination better. So they put me into piano. And I guess it kind of worked. I have better control over my movements than my sisters do. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing them under the bus right now. But <laughs> it does help to a certain extent. But it is true. I do get used as like a living a living shuffle. I guess my parents are like, oh, play this song. Oh, can you play this song? No, yeah. no, no, I can't. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, like, I think a lot of people underestimate classical performers. I, I, 
<laughs> like my friend, she's a she's a violinist. She's my closest friend in university. She practices like crazy, and the amount of stress. Like if you watch Whiplash, even if you even if it's not a classical musician, like you just watch anyone who's who's really um, committed to classical, the classical era period, like that, yeah. like. Ballet, like black swan, you can you can really feel their psychological problem. <laughs> I'm not saying my friend has psychological problem. But I mean, the stress, the amount of stress, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the amount of stress that they go through, it's it's unthinkable. Like um, they have to finish pieces. Like she she has to play. I think last semester she has to play like 15 pieces for that semester, and like it has to be like really good because especially violinist, you have. Um, orchestra, yeah. like you, you have solo, and she's a solo performance, right? Performer, and she's pretty, she's really good. So she has a lot of things to do, and then she has to take care of her health. She has to take care of her body. So I think, yeah, and then like the stress, uh, uh, other than physical stress, like fatigue, you have to take care of your mental health. So usually performers, they, how my friend. Prepared for her um, examination, she didn't see anyone the day before, like at all. She she isolated herself because it helps to calm the mind. And she didn't. I don't think she practiced um, because the more you practice, the more stressed you become. Actually, um, I mean the day before the performance mm-hmm. or um, right hours before the performance. Usually she just goes through the difficult passages, but she doesn't. I I don't think she runs through. It will make her stressed. Um, but yeah, the mental, you get mental fatigue. Even though your piece may be a slow piece, it's tiring because you have to think about it by detail. It's not about notes. It's not just note playing. It's it's the why the composer created this way. What what is he feeling? How can I make this different? How can I make people cry or make people laugh make them from cry. playing this? So like. All of those, those factors, and emotionally. So, like, you have to be emotionally stable. You have to be mentally, like, stable, and you have to be physically. I think that's the stress that performers go through, and composers, like us, we just have fun, destroy your instruments, and create music. <laughs> Not so much. Um, as a musician, I'm pretty sure you've heard of what they call the Kent Symphony Curse. What, what do you mean? Like, I've never heard of the Dead Symphony Uh-oh. Curse. There's a there's a curse in well, I heard it mentioned once that in the classical music world, not a lot of composers actually reach their tenth symphony because most of them die before then, and so a lot of oh. them, yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them will compose symphonies but not call it a symphony just to avoid that number from creeping closer to ten. But once you pass ten. Then I think you're fine, but the number of people who actually pass ten symphonies is like very low. I hope. I hope. I don't. Don't scare I her, I man. I won't. I won't. I won't compose symphonies. It's the same. Symphonies. I know it's the same. <laughs> it all started. They say this never happened before Beethoven, but once Beethoven did it, then suddenly people start dying before yeah. the symphony. Beethoven ended in Symphony Nine. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! Actually, I think the, yeah. I think the only person who managed to pass ten um, was is it Mahler? Mahler created a lot of symphonies. Wait, let me see. Compose symphony fan ten. Let's just see. Meanwhile, Mars. Who is Mahler? Shostakovich. Oh yeah, there you go. Who's that? He's a he's a Russian composer. Ah, composer. Yeah, that's it. I think even Schubert had an unfinished one, and that unfinished was yeah to be the ten. Yeah, the unfinished symphony. Yeah, just skip ten. Just write. Uh, just just make it eleven. Yeah, can 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 anyone break the break the curse? You know, like eleven. You know, like Asian elevators, like one two. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, one two one, five three, five. <laughs> <laughs> that's not cheating. I think one's yeah. It. yeah. One, two, three, three and a half, five, <laughs> and then you're like, what? Uh, what level am I in? Actually, I don't even know anymore. You should go like Symphony Nine, Symphony Eleven. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that curse, but yeah, it's actually true. Actually, a lot of composers back then, 
died very young. Like Mozart died at the age of thirty something. Mozart was too. Mozart was overworked though. He was poor too.、Yeah. I think he was poor. He's also pretty、I、short.、Heard. Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was because at the time Christian music was very. Like it was the thing. In order to be sponsored, in order to be like to have patrons, you have to compose like masses, like Bach and Handel and stuff like that. But Mozart, I think, avoided the more Christian style music、yeah. until he wrote Requiem, I guess. Yeah, Mozart is not very, you know, Mendelssohn is very Christian. Mendelssohn wrote quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, Mozart tried to like no, 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 no. Also, I heard he's quite arrogant. Oh, he's very so, arrogant. Yeah. Gosh, which、so、is funny because he's like. I think it's because he's like super short, so he's like. Anyway, <laughs> he's, he's a genius. He created Twinkle Twinkle Little Star when he was like. And ABC. ABC. ABC.、Yeah. <laughs> I think when he was five. At five, I just started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chopstick. <laughs> like, oh, this is do that. That's me at five, and and Mozart is just like. I created something that the whole world will remember for centuries. Well, he didn't know、yeah. that. You know, he's he kind of acts like he's so arrogant. I think. Like, is, I remember I saw a lot of people said Salieri. He worked his like he worked his butt <laughs> off composing such good music, and Mozart's like what? Like it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> Mozart. It's for for Mozart. It's he he has a dream of like it can be like he just. Had a dream of a symphony, and then the next day he composed the whole thing. He was kind of of a pr- prodigy, though. That was his thing. Yeah, he is. But for、yeah. the he the, is, he the is. other guy, whatever his name was again, Salieri. <laughs> yeah, that guy. He like, I want to be better, you know. <laughs> Which is, it's like the whole Aaron Burr. And okay, now I'm not gonna go to Hamilton. Yeah,、so. Hamilton, because it's like someone's good at it, but someone's like. Talented, a natural, yeah, yeah. natural. But, but then, talent, talent can only get you so far. Yeah, for、right? sure. Talent, like, talent, and then you have、Except、to move on、Mozart. to hard work. No, you did. So I mean, Mozart died because he's like super stressed、yeah. too, right? Because you know, yeah. But like, a good example, a good example of that is、yeah. back to Hillary Hunt. Like she was considered a child prodigy, yeah, but she just continued to work on it. She didn't just you know play, and then after she grew、mm. up, she's like, oh, I give up. She worked hard and like she had her own style, and that's how she succeeded, I guess. Yeah, she's so cool. Yeah, Lang, for a long, long, he was he was a child prodigy. No, he he's not. He it's not was. He is a child prodigy, a genius in piano. I mean, for him, it's just like he, he can do it, but he works hard for it. He actually,、uh, he said, ten percent of your success is from your talent, but ninety percent is from your hard work. And I, I agree. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like no matter how talented you are, you still need hard work. Like just from hard work, like I really, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you, you don't just work smart, you work hard too. Because work smart and hard actually. But I don't, I'm not the type of person. Like a lot of people say, especially another misconception of musician. Oh, you just wait for your luck.、Ah. Okay, if. Yeah, a lot of people perceive it like that. It's either you're lucky, then you become someone, you become a popular musician, or you suck, or you're not lucky, and you just end up as a teacher or like that, or or you don't end up being a musician at all. And for me, it's like you don't just wait for luck. You need to work hard for it. Like for example, like、uh, I think a very very good example would be Ed Sheeran. He is lucky. Okay, like for a producer to actually look at him. He is lucky. There's there's that aspect of luck, but I think he is also hardworking because it takes a lot, okay, for someone to take their guitar out to the streets to gigs and then play every single day. That's hard work. I think if he does, he didn't do that. Maybe he won't ever meet a producer. That's that's like a possibility. So I think, yeah, hard hard work plays a lot in. Your life, yes. Like it's not just luck. You don't just wait for luck because I I believe that through hard work you can get. Yeah, I think another example would be Charlie Puth. If you actually listen to an interview, he actually had a recording of him when he couldn't sing. <laughs> That's so funny. What? 
he actually learned he learned <laughs> how to sing and like do all the pictures because now he's like pitch perfect and he's like so good. yeah yeah but I then he's actually like pitch. perfect sorry pitch, pitch perfect and perfect pitch are two <laughs> but like but like he really built in the interview he was like no 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 i wasn't i wasn't good at music all the time actually this i recorded myself singing once and it sounded horrible <laughs> It's because I learned and practiced, and then yeah, luck is in the mixture. But like that part of your life is also important, and that goes to like any profession. I feel. Yeah, it's not just music, but I think luck mostly tied like with with music because yeah, musicians are sometimes not looked at. Real professions, unless you're like a super super successful musician, like an artist or something. But like, actually, as a, I don't know, like, success is defined differently, I guess. Yeah. yeah. People. Because we've talked about quite a lot of compu- composers and musicians and stuff like that. Who are some people that you look up to in the industry, and why? Of course. Yeah. Or like, what's your favorite um, advice? I guess. The first composer I look look up to is Chopin. That's the first. Like the very first. Um, then after looking at his life for a while. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's a depressed. So, so depressed. He, he like, I mean his music is nice. I mean I like anything in minor key. I guess that's why I, I, I was inspired by him. But he's okay. like so depressed, man. I read about his biography. He's he's the saddest human being I've ever read about. He's so sad. Like read his biography and just tell me. All that happens. Like yeah, I've read someone's biography before. I'm like, how is this not fiction? This is so depressing. Yeah, it's so depressing. I think one his one of his biographies wrote that he doesn't eat fats. You know how in the food group fats are. Yeah, quite generally, everywhere. Well, no, no, important. important for you, right? So he avoids anything with fats. That's why he's always sick and he always cancels performance and everything. And he, and he just gets sad, like a lot. So I think, oh my gosh, you're so depressing. Okay, never mind. But he was my inspiration for quite a while. Because, yeah, I'm inspired by his piano music. I think they're really touching, even though he's a depressed person. They're really touching music. Like, if you watch the movie The Pianist, it's uh, I think it's Chopin's Nocturne. In... I played one of his nocturnes. It stresses me out. Yeah. So in the pianist, he played. Wait, wait, I suddenly forgot the actor's name. Yeah, but and I forgot the pian. The actual pianist name is we 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 something something. Yeah, he played that in front of the German officer, and he get he got free and like. I think he he's yeah it touched uh, the Germans officers um, heart and yeah so I really like how Chopin's music touched my heart in a lot of different ways back then <laughs> now now um, because I'm more to the composition stream and I'm also more open-minded to a lot of other composers. For classical, uh, like Western art music composers, who I'm, who I'm inspired as Beethoven. I'm really inspired by Beethoven. I think his innovations and the way he breaks rules and breaks every single rule that he knows, from not deaf to being deaf, and how he can compose when he's deaf. It, it's inspiring, man. How do you compose without hearing? Like, you can compose when you're blind but not hearing, and I think that's that's like inspiring, like how he doesn't stop. And I think Tchaikovsky, I really like Tchaikovsky's. You know, he failed a lot, and actually, Swan Lake was a big failure when he lived. Oh yeah, it's only yeah. after his death. That's yeah, true. after his death, then it's and like he still doesn't give up, man. After that, like uh, he got a lot of rejections, and you know. I think I heard this quote from somewhere, but I'm pretty sure it's Tchaikovsky who said it. He said, when he was rejected, all he said is, "What is I?" Because his music teacher said, "You have a lot to fix, and you suck like that." And and all he said is, "What is already great cannot be fixed." 
<laughs> That's all he did. The confidence level so high, <laughs> and like, yeah, he is a very confident person. I think, like, yeah, and he, he's also gay, right? So, he has a lot of emotional and mental attack, technically, especially in uh, back then when you're gay. Mm. You know the treatment you you get, and like, and then he's a composer, a non, a, he's not well liked. Like he's not well liked. Like um, I don't know. I think Mendelssohn is more well liked as a composer, but or Bach or Handel, but but Tchaikovsky is just you know, uh, for people back then because I think he's so he progressed so much into the future, and I like his spirit of not giving up. And he creates many of the most iconic pieces of music that still stands until today. And like when I sing the melody or anyone sings the melody, you know, oh yeah, the eighteen twelve, yeah, the eighteen twelve, yeah, right. You hear yeah, it and you're like, wow, what madman yeah. put cannons inside it? Yeah, inside an overture. Oh, that one. <laughs> it's because it's because he said like, well, they said I can use any instrument I want. I'm gonna use cannons. Boom. So can... Hey, cannons. whatever makes you yeah. special. Exactly. I think yeah, just Beethoven and Tchaikovsky. Uh, I would say they they really inspired me. But what my favorite, my one of the composers that I really like, starting to like, I used to hate him so much. It's the Busi. I used to hate the Busi so, uh... so 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 much. I hated when my teacher gave me. Give, constantly gave me the Bushi to play. Oh, that's me and Chopin. Because, yeah. Uh, oh no, me is the Bushi and Bach. I hate them, but now I really love them. I'm not exactly inspired by them, but I love them because they're interesting. And I, I think Bach is satisfying to play, while the Bushi, I just love him because of his use of non-tonal, well, tonal, but not really. Harmony, his innovations, and the fact that he made Indonesian music popular. He is the oh, first yeah. composer really? who made Indonesian music popular. Yeah, I didn't know that. that time in. So they, we were told because we go to, we we know the same music history. So essentially, the during that time, the I think it was during the colonial era, they had performers from Indonesia come to Paris, and yeah, they were yeah. performing on the streets, yeah. and well, everyone kind of saw them as like, oh yeah, this. You know, colony members—they're just playing on the streets and stuff like that. But then it caught the attention of two really big composers, and one of them was Debussy, and yeah. it was stuff like gamelans and stuff like that. So if you listen carefully to some of like Debussy's music, you can hear that pentatonic, non-tonal yeah. kind of inspiration. You can, you can hear a lot of the very gamelan-like texture, like the dum dum dum. I mean, like. You don't hear the gamelan. <laughs> I mean, like you hear yeah. the texture, the the movement. Okay, okay. It's so gamelan-like, and it's really, really nice. Uh, yeah, he made it popular. Thank I you. didn't know that. Thank you for putting us out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, time for yeah, the Asians. So... <laughs> yeah. Enough white music. Um, and then for my for the other composers that I look up to. I the first composer that I look up to, I mean not Western art, is uh, John Williams. Mm-hmm. I love John Williams. If you ask your sister, Inga, how much I love John Williams, she knows. Yeah, I hear this one a lot. If, yes. Yeah, I love John Williams. Like I don't care how many people say he's old-fashioned. He, he only knows how to compose orchestral music. No, no, bro. At that time, when movies were stuck in with synths and like. Uh, synth oh, yeah. and for sci-fi, right? Sci-fi movies, especially. He is the one who like. Oh, let's go back to is he the music. one that made Star Wars? Yeah, Star Wars, Jurassic Park. I think as old-fashioned as you say he, as as people say he is, like he makes many of the most iconic and memorable melodies that you will never forget, and you will instantly know which. Which movie it, those melodies belong yeah. to? So I love John Williams, and next I love Hans Zimmer. There's no doubt. Oh I yeah, that one's him. a really good one. Yeah. Remind me, Hans yeah. Zimmer again. Hans Zimmer, Interstellar. Oh, in- Interstellar. Interstellar. Um, Pirates. Actually, Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. They did Inception. 
Yeah, Inception, Kung Fu Panda, yeah, and so much more. Yeah. yeah, I just, I just really, really, I look up to him. Um, and then he, he says a lot of inspirational quotes that really stuck to me, like the one that if you see a rule, break them. I, I think that's, that's really, that's correct. Man. <laughs> you couldn't, like, there's no better way to say it. Yeah, I think composers, that's it. But then I have like, if you want to know from other, like other people who are not composers, I have Jack Ma. I'm inspired by Jack Ma, man. Okay, I think like the so businessman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, Alibaba. okay. okay. <laughs> I thought I was like, okay. <laughs> and Scorsese, Martin Scorsese. Ah, yeah. Mel Gibson. And I heard they're short. Oh, okay. Um, fun fact. <laughs> and uh, Scorsese, uh, Rowan Atkinson. And yeah, and finally, my mom. I'm so inspired. Yeah, seriously, she's she's a really big supporter in my life. I don't know what I'm what I'm gonna do without her. Oh my gosh! Like you know, when I moved to Hong Kong, all my thoughts. I'm going to make horrible decisions because my mom's not. <laughs> no lah. <laughs> like she, she really teaches me how to be a better person. Yeah, she went through a lot, and I think she's one of the wisest person ever. I'm not being biased, but seriously, she's so wise, bro. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. I think it's nice when, when you know, um, kids are close with their parents. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm saying that like I, I have kids. I don't. <laughs> I just say I'm also close with my parents, so it's like it's pretty rare. I think it's important, like to have a family support, like in whatever yeah. you do, whether it be your sister and all. It's it's really important to have family support. Yeah, thank you for spitting music facts. Well, I know them, but I don't know that. <laughs> Be knowledgeable in music. Yeah, you're like, sprinkle, sprinkle, here it is. Thanks for exposing the music industry, Lauren. Thank you for hearing another episode of Peak Boredom. On that note, tune in next time. Yeah, next week we have someone else that's super interesting. Woo! Bye! Bye, guys! Bye, guys! Hope you enjoy it. Hello, hi, thank you for listening to the Peak Boredom Podcast. This is Martin Inga signing off and don't forget to tune in next week. Please, bye.